beginning today and uh, uh, a number of times during this summer, we're going to be sending off uh, people to uh, various uh, areas where they'll be ministering in the name of Christ. And so let me ask uh, Suzanne Hardiman and Linda Gill if you'll come up front so we can pray for you. And uh, uh, they are going to uh, the Cree uh, Native American, uh, I think it's Montana Cree is how you say it, and but it's in Canada, so there you have it. Uh, um, and they went last year and uh, um, are going back to the, the same very needy place, a place where there are um, many suicides and uh, uh, a lot of poverty and uh, not a lot of ways of being equipped uh, to deal with the grief that, uh, that they are having. So let me get where I can see it, because I want to say a few words to you two. Um, as you go, uh, you're, you're really going because uh, your heart's already been broken for uh, these people. Um, you, you didn't maybe know that last year before you went, but... Uh, but when you got there and in your determination to go back, um, that's, that's a part of the nature of missions. Um, and it's likely that your heart's going to be broken again because there will be some that you met last year that will be doing worse and some that were doing okay that are doing badly. And, and uh, there may be some some that have made some progress or maybe more open to you this year because you came back. And uh, so I, I want you to go, uh, you, you know, the, the very nature of going on a, a mission trip, there's some humility there just by its very nature. But uh, we also always have to guard against we're going because we're the great helpers. And I know you don't believe that. Um, you're going to point them to the great helper. And uh, remind you of our verse of the year that we, we read earlier today. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And that goes for as you interact with one another, but certainly... Those there, as you go to serve them, I encourage you that as, as your heart is broken, um, know that that's the way we ought to go anytime we go on, on a, a mission trip. Uh, as some who have been helped by the great helper, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we didn't deserve it, you don't deserve it either, who we're coming to, um, but we want to share him with you. So let us pray for you. Lord, thank you that uh, you never leave us uh, to do our calling in our own strength. And, and when we try to do it in our own strength, we will fail. We we know that most of us have experienced that. 
And so, Lord, uh, I do pray for Suzanne and for Linda. Thank you for their hearts, for uh, these uh, Cree people who uh, have so many human challenges, but the bottom line is who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, will you surprise them with opportunities to share Christ even as they equip them to deal with grief and, and other things, will you open, open hearts uh, so that they could hear that even in the midst of a, a very hopeless situation, there is hope. And so, Lord, will you protect them there, protect them on the trip there and back, and will you, you use them in a mighty way? And then, Lord, help us to be faithful in... Uh, in holding the rope for these sisters as, as uh, they, they go to this area as we pray for them. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And before we uh, read the passage, I, w- I want you to, in your mind, ask this question. What does, what does restoration look like for one who has sinned deeply? And then even as I ask the question phrased that way, I, I carefully chose those words, but I also... Uh, equally as important, want to give you a caution. And that is, when I say one who has sinned deeply, I don't want you to think that that's a separate category that Peter was in. That this is a great story about Peter and his Savior. But rather, to understand that we are included in this category. It would be tempting to think, oh, I hope so-and-so's hearing this. This is the word of God which is for all of us. So let me remind you of the immediate context and the larger context. Uh, The disciples had gone to Galilee. And by the way, if you're visiting with us, we are at at, at, uh, almost to the end, next week will be the end, uh, of a series on the Gospel of John. And uh, last week we, we talked about how uh, after Jesus was resurrected, uh, they went to Galilee because Jesus told them that he would meet them there after uh, the resurrection They were out fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. Uh, Jesus tells them to cast their net again. Uh, They do it. They might have been thinking this is like deja vu all over again because that happened to us. And in fact, John recognized that. They didn't know at first it was Jesus that told them to recast their net, but they figured it out. 
And he said, that's the Lord. And the net was filled up. Uh, they went in. Uh, Peter, when, he, when John said, it's the Lord, Peter put on his cloak, jumped in the water. They're 100 yards or so out. And he uh, swam, waded, whatever the depth was. We don't know to get to the shore to be with Jesus. And the others rode in, you know, I, I wonder if some of them were saying, there he is, getting out of rowing again. We got this big load of fish now, and uh, he's going to beat us to Jesus. So they, they all go to shore. Jesus had prepared breakfast, and he had served it to them. And that's where we pick up this passage. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning with verse 15 of John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you? Love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly I say to you, when, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and Walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once again, Lord. Please open our hearts to your word and to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Even though he jumped out of the boat, couldn't wait to get near Jesus... That had to be one uncomfortable breakfast for Peter. We don't have any record of him indicating that. But if I were in Peter's shoes, it would have been for me. Sitting there by, as we've pointed out in a couple of sermons, the charcoal fire. That phrase, the charcoal fire, that, that 
We see earlier in John that, that Peter was warming his hands around a charcoal fire in the garden of the high priest while Jesus was on trial. He's just trying to blend in, and it, it's right before he denies Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. And here he is around a charcoal fire with that Jesus. We read in, in Luke after that third denial that Jesus turned and looked at him. And it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. So when they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now let's <clears throat> talk some Greek language here. <laughs> That's a new category. Sometimes I'll say, let's do some theology. But here, uh, we're going to do a little Greek language here because this is one of those passages that whether or not the pastor that's preaching it knows anything about Greek, they usually bring out these points. So I, I, I want to mention uh, this to you. And if you're familiar with the passage, you, you've probably heard this really focused upon because many commentators, especially the older commentators, and I mean centuries ago, would point out that, that when Jesus said, do you love me, the, the first two times he said that, he used the word from the, the root word agape. I'll just, it's agapao, but agape is the, the form we know. Okay? And, and that's considered to be the highest form of love. Peter's answer all three times was, yes, I love you in the English. You know I love you. But all three times he used a different Greek word. He used the word that... Uh, is from phileo, which is where we get Philadelphia, which is what? The city of brotherly love, okay? And some like to emphasize that, okay, he's, he's talking about a, a brotherly kind of, of love, which is a lesser kind of love than agape and, and so on. And so perhaps the reason for that, and by the way, the third time Jesus says, do you love me? He says, do you phileo me? He uses the word, the word that Peter kept using. And, and some of the older commentators would, would say, probably Peter didn't feel worthy to even say, I, I love you, like with that kind of a, a godly love and, and so on. Most have, since the older commentators, moved away from that interpretation. 
there, there may be some significance in using uh, the different words, and I'll tell you, that'll preach. I mean, that, that's a good angle to go uh, with, with preaching, but I'm not sh- sure that, that that's necessarily what was going on here. And most linguists now are, are saying you, you don't want to make too much of the different words here because if you look at how John uses the word love, he interchanges those words freely. And so, uh, while I wanted to at least acknowledge that, the big picture, the big point here, the real point, I am convinced, is the number of times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. It happened to be the same number of times Peter denied him. So Jesus says this. He doesn't just say, do you love me? He starts out by saying, do you love me more than these? So the, the question has to be, what are the these? What or who is he talking about? Some say it's fishing and your livelihood and your old life. Do you love me more than these, your boat and fishing and all that? Uh, Some say that it's saying his friends, do you love me more than you love these guys? And while there may have been some indication in those, there's a there's a third in- interpretation, um, and that is, do you love me more than you think these guys love me? And that's really where I lean. Let me explain. Uh, over in Matthew 26, uh, you don't need to turn to him, but you can look at it later if you want or write it down. In Matthew 26, Jesus had told the disciples that they would all fall away uh, after his death. Now, Peter's response was, even if all these guys fall away, I will never fall away. So here's Jesus, I believe, saying to Peter, basically, do you still claim that you love me more than these? Would you still make that kind of a statement? When Peter responded affirmatively, Jesus says, okay, then do something. Now, I think he's saying, well, show me. Don't just tell me. Peter had been good about 
making claims about how strong of a follower he was of Jesus. Making promises. I'll be there. I would never deny you. But he hadn't been good with keeping those promises. So here is Jesus saying, that's all well and good that you again say you love me. But then he he says, if you love me then, here's what you will do. He says, feed my lambs. Now remember, Jesus had said, I'm the good shepherd. And he had called his people, his flock, his sheep. Jesus knew that that soon he would be ascending into heaven and he is showing that others are going to need to tend the flock. I'm leaving my lambs and I'm leaving my sheep in your care. And so he says it once. And then verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And by the way, it would be interesting tonight in community groups for you all to read it and interpret how you think they said these. You've just heard mine. But my interpretation of the tone of voice and everything is not inspired, I promise you. But that would be interesting to, to see what you all think. But he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. So Peter's response this second time is to say for the second time, you know that I love you. And he's, he's acknowledging you, you're omniscient. You've just asked me something that you know the answer to. And it's almost like, do you really have to ask me again? You know my heart. And yet, Jesus asked him this second time. And then verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he, he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now let me point out one more thing about uh, this conversation. Did you notice what uh, the name that uh, Jesus is calling Peter? Simon, son of John, or Simon, son of Jonah, it's, those are interchangeable. Any significance with that? 
Well, earlier in Jesus' ministry at Caesarea Philippi, where Simon, son of Jonah, had made his great confession. Let me remind you of that by reading it to you. Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you, who do you say that I am? He had said, who, do, who's, who are people saying I am? Who do you say that I am? And of course, Simon's the one answering. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There it is, that great confession. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Bar is son. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, his confession there, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we went to, to Israel, we went to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, I saw something there that I, I didn't understand about this story until I, I, I stood there, so I want to describe it to you. Uh, in in Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, where they would have been, there is a, a, a big, huge rock, mountainy kind of thing, and and uh, in this small mountain, there are niches where the pagans used to put idols and they would come and they would worship there. That was one aspect of it. But much more graphic was there was a huge cave, a, a, a dark opening. And that that opening was where the pagans would, they would sacrifice human beings and they would throw them in there. And because there was water that had melted from the, the mountain and come out from there, uh, blood and water would flow because of the, uh, all of the deaths that were there and it would come out, out of this hole. Well, they, they call that cave opening, they call it and called it then the gates of hell. And so what we see is that, that Jesus is standing there and he says, who do you say I am? And, and here Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed. And, and then he says, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No paganism, no Satanism, nothing. This was a high point, a temporary high point for Peter as only a moment later, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So that's where he was named Peter. 
Now fast forward. Jesus doesn't call him Petra, the rock. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him by his childhood name. By the name he first met him by. Simon? Son of Jonah? How hard that must have been for Peter to hear that after that high point in Caesarea Philippi. Now I want to take you back to John 13. There Jesus was talking about his own death and it was approaching and Peter blurts out, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, again, Jesus did know all things. So rather than saying, great, Peter, way to go, man. Instead, he immediately tells Peter he's going to deny him. He says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now again, there's that moment. There was, fast forward to this moment, where he's been asked three times, do you love me? And there's no more pride. No more boasting. No more promises from Peter's perspective. Listen, I don't, I don't care what these guys do. I'm there for you. And what Jesus does is he addresses to Peter, okay, here's what it's really going to mean if you want to follow me. You want to follow me? Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, and when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then kind of in a parenthesis, verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So this actual conversation took place uh, probably 30-ish years before his actual death. Peter's actual death, which would have been under the persecution of Nero. And by the time John wrote this book, Peter had been martyred. His death had taken place. This phrase, you will stretch out your hands, is the phrase that in that day was commonly used to describe crucifixion. And John's saying, Jesus said this, by the way, to tell him what kind of death he was going to die. So, in essence, he's saying, you're, you're going to be crucif crucified. Now, some, some tradition uh, tells us that, uh, that, that Peter was crucified, you might have heard, upside down. That 
comes from uh, a fourth century historian, Eusebius, who uh, said it took place, he was crucified upside down in Rome. Um, it, that's probably unlikely, according to most other historians, because some of the early, earlier historians, Clement and Tertullian, said that he was uh, martyred, he was crucified, but they didn't say anything about it being upside down, and you, one would think that they would have mentioned that, but that's, that's not the point. Jesus says, okay, Peter, you wanted to follow me. Here's what it's going to look like. And basically, Peter went the rest of his ministry with that hanging over him, I mean, none of us know how we're going to die, but that hanging over him that you're going to be crucified too. And only after all that does Jesus say, follow me. The verb form there, more Greek. Present imperative. In other words, keep on following me. If you'll keep on following me, it's going to be to your own cross, Peter. Now, I want to, I want to give you five applications very briefly. from this passage. Uh, the first is that sin should not simply be put behind us. We need to, as I put, do business with Jesus. That's not to lighten it or be flip about it. Doing business with Jesus is serious. His repentance before him. Too often when, when there's, there's, there's been some kind of a sin or a, a moral failure, the, the temptation is, well, let's just move on. I, that's not going to happen again. I learned my lesson. Let's go. But for Peter's own good, Jesus didn't let that happen. Listen to what A.W. Pink says. The Lord wounds only that he may heal. Boy, if we could remember that. When we're wounded and we know God's in control, it's so that, so that he's going to heal us in some way. He goes on, the, the fall was necessary. The fall was necessary in order to reveal to Peter the condition of his heart, to show him the worthlessness of self-confidence and to humble his proud spirit. Peter had to be broken in order to be most useful. And that's what happens. Secondly, there are different levels of repentance. I, I have no doubt that 
that Peter was already sorry as soon as he denied Jesus the third time. Look, in, in Luke 22, it, it says this, and, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And it says, and he went out and wept, wept bitterly. The other two uh, gospels use that same, almost a, the exact same phrase. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about his weeping. I have no doubt that that was the beginning of his repentance, and he was sorry. No doubt in my mind. But it wasn't the end of his repentance. Jesus wasn't going to let that be the end of his repentance, and it was for his own good. Jesus took him deeper and deeper and deeper. And then he stops. Jesus indeed knows all things. So he knew that, that, that Peter, at that point, had had truly been broken from his sin of denial. Thirdly, I, I want us to understand from this, no one and no sin is outside of the forgiveness of Christ. Some of you may be thinking, well, well that's true, but let me tell you about or you don't know what happened to me. Or you don't know what I did. And it's tempting for us to, to put something that's happened to us that, that was heinous or, or something that we have done, put it in a, a, a different and worse category in terms of forgiveness from Jesus But here's the question. Whatever sin that is, if you're thinking that way, is it worse than denying Jesus three times? And the answer is, no, it's not. It isn't worse. The whole message of the gospel is that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to cover all of the sins of all of his people for all time. Not just most or not just the ones I do, but all of them. And that's the glory of the gospel. And that brings me to a fourth application that I'm sliding in here that's not in the outline, and that is that there is, there's no one in this room that does not need restoration. Don't just think someone that has done something outwardly 
and publicly, they're the only ones that need restoration. Every one of those disciples needed it, and every one of us needs it. Absolutely. And then finally, Jesus is able to use us even when we have sinned deeply. He entrusted the sheep to Peter. If he can use Peter to care and feed for his lambs, his sheep that he went to the cross for, then he can use you and he can use me. And that's not a testament to Peter. It's not a testament to you or me. It is only a testimony of how great God is. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord. That's all I know to say, I, that that's how you work. Thank you for your restoration of Peter, but not only him, of, of the millions of your children that have come after Peter that are encouraged because that's who you are and that's what you do. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.